everyone and uh, welcome to another episode of the Leaders Series. Um, today I'm speaking to J.C. Thompson who's a global category lead um, for Kraft Heinz and, and he's based in Amsterdam. He worked within the procurement uh, and specifically the workforce management space and it was great to speak to someone as a recruiter that I've worked with over many years to really understand how these large global companies choose their partners how they choose their suppliers, how they work with contingent workers, and also how they develop a plan for how they improve this and make it better for their own companies going forward. So um, really interesting chat. Hope you enjoy it. JC Thompson from Kraft Heinz. Hi there, JC, how are you? I'm good, thank you, David. Great to be here, how are you doing? I'm very well today. Yes, very well. Kind of getting getting through the year now. So coming up to kind of the Christmas, and my kids are getting excited about Halloween and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, the time time is flying. So absolutely, we're at the home stretch, as they say. For That's the right. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we've got a, a, a real friend of GCS here, JC Thompson, someone that we've worked with over many years in various different companies. Um, uh, JC uh, works for Kraft Heinz. Um, he's based in Amsterdam. He's a global category lead. Uh, I'm going to say within the procurement space, but he, we're going to go into much more detail on, on which particular area of the procurement space that is. 10 years, a real rapid rise um, in the industry uh, and someone that, that, that GCS has worked with. And I think this will give us a real opportunity to talk about this, you know, not overlooked, but not so much spoken about kind of area of business, which is you know, important and increasingly important in running these big kind of global firms. But without further ado, JC, um, great to see you. And maybe you can just, you know, give our kind of listeners a little bit more, you know, detail on, on, on what it is you particularly do and the kind of key kind of key priorities of your role. Yeah, cheers, David. So yeah. as, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm the global category lead uh, in Kraft in Heinz and the category that I look after is contingent workforce and PPO. Uh, this is actually a space uh, that I've been operating in um, for, for a number of years now at, at different companies, as, as you mentioned, um, in Liberty Global and more recently at, at Heineken. Um, but actually, what does contingent workforce and, and BPO actually entail? It's, it's pretty much just the strategic vision of managing your external worker footprint. So a lot of companies are incredibly good and have very sophisticated ways of managing their full-time employees. But what Contingent Workforce and BPO looks at is how do you actually manage the workers who are not on your books? And how do you get the most out of those kind of contractual arrangements? Yeah. And, and what, you know, if you think about the, the key challenges, key challenges for you within your role, and I know that you've gone on quite a lot to, to really take charge of real kind of big global projects. What, what are the initial challenges that come up to you straight away that you, you, you always have to kind of work out? Or is it different for each individual business? Yeah, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are differences from business to business, but you know, there's a lot of similarities actually that, and there are a lot of similar problems that, that large corporations are trying to face. When you look at contingent workforce PPO, I think the most obvious complexity is that who are your stakeholders? Well, there are such a large number of stakeholders in your organization because a contingent worker can be anything from legal to audit, to finance, to IT, to engineering, to your supply chain. 
which means that you have to have a touch point with almost every single department in your entire organization. Mm. And then when you scale that up over continents, regions, globally, you start to realize just how big this picture is that you're trying to put together and how delicate the jigsaw is when you're trying to match everything one for another. Yeah, and I guess it, 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 you have to kind of create those templates and those structures, don't you, where everything's going to be different in different locations and in different divisions, but these are the, the corner, kind of key cornerstones. And is, is, that, is that something that you've developed over time that you, that you feel is, is really important to get these things right first? Yeah, I think so. But it's, it's also important to, to be aware of what's going on in the world, right? Because sure. in this particular area of, of procurement, you're, you're not dealing with a commodity, for example. You're mm. dealing with people. You're dealing with yeah. people with feelings. And, and that adds extra complexity. Not only that, you're dealing with labor laws. And yeah. I, I, you know anyone listening to this will know that the law for managing externals in the UK is vastly different from Mexico. Yeah. So, so, so you constantly have to evolve. You constantly have to have your ears on the ground and you're constantly having to partner with people. And that's what I really love about it because you don't have to have global domination. It's about working out who the strategic partners are that you're going to trust and work with in order to find the best solution. And when you, when you go out looking for those partners, I, I mean, just before we go into the partner side, I, I certainly think on the labour laws. I mean, that is, that is such, a, such a complex area, isn't it? You know, it's, we, we, we were talking the other day about tax law and how even in the EU, the tax laws are so different and the contractual laws are so different, you know, actually figuring it out is and then it's always changing all the time isn't it you know it's yeah. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an almost impossible task isn't it really to kind of get right yeah to, to an extent <laughs> many would say that uh, i think that's what keeps this area of um you know business very interesting mm. just to give you a few examples you've got ir35 in the uk which is which has turned the boat around there in terms yeah, yeah. of managing contractors in in the united kingdom you know, when you look at the Netherlands, you've got VAT and DPA in terms of managing, again, payroll workers and the implications of that. If you look at very recently, in the last six months, Mexico has made temporary labor workers illegal, which actually means that everyone needs to be staffed through a service contract now. So, you know, just in the space of 12, 18 months, you've got three very, very sophisticated markets changing their entire modus operandi and companies have to adjust to that. That's right, yeah, yeah. And the, the funny thing is that the thing I find as well with, with, with these sort of areas is they see it's very much seen as challenges, but people always find a way to, or companies, organizations, structures, always find a way to continue the supply, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's why I felt the IR35. I mean, you, you've been in the industry long enough to know that IR35 was coming for, well, it was there, but it was coming for this the way it works now for maybe 20 years. And then there was a day it happened and now things have settled down and everyone understands how it works. And Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. With IR35, you know, the, the public sector kind of bore the brunt of, yeah. of that initial change, right? And, and everyone sort of knew that it was going to come to the, to, to the private sector, secretly hoping it wouldn't. Um, but, but eventually it did. Uh, but as you said, companies are resilient in that sense, you know, and the best companies are agile enough to to work out a way to ensure business continuity. And I guess that's actually what my role is about, trying to work out how to create that business continuity. Yeah, keep, keep the, the, the main thing happening, which obviously in Kraft Heinz is producing 
producing the food, you know, and Liberty, you know, making the telephone networks work, you know, Heineken, the beer, even more important, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> keep the beer flowing. And, and like you said, a lot of what you do as a leader within, you know, a category lead is obviously choosing and working with the right, correct partners. Yeah. Right. And I, I guess that you're very much judged on the, the quality of partner that you that you work with right you know your success is is based on that i assume yeah very much so very much so um i think you know in 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 certain categories or in certain business lines you can get away with working in a silo you know you you can get away with working on your own and and building your own strategy and saying yes this this is the way forward Hmm. Um, unfortunately in in contingent workforce bpo that's just not an option you know the the dynamic of the category the dynamism forces you to work with other people who quite frankly hopefully know more than you do yeah i'm i'm never embarrassed to say that i i'm always looking for people who know more than i do you do know a lot though jc i've worked with you for a few years now you're you're pretty good (laughs) well that's that's very kind (laughs) but uh it probably says something about gcs as well yeah that's right yeah, no, yeah I, I, I tend to have most stuff in my head but like you said i think that's that's the same thing of partnership isn't it you know you you work with the companies that you supply to and you know they're they're driving you in certain directions and like you're talking about business resilience you're trying to work out those solutions you know we we work together on dutch the wab and that sort of thing and it's it's very much about trying to put put, put the pieces together to make it all continue isn't it and absolutely and, and look we're whatever you know whatever company you're working in the the one thing to know to know about this particular area is that everyone is trying to solve the same problem yeah right it is not a unique problem you're trying to solve particularly when it comes to external workforce management every single company is facing the exact same challenge and you know what that means from a supply perspective when you're working strategically with the suppliers they're also able to share insights about what other people are trying to do to solve the same problem. Yeah. So it doesn't actually make sense to work in a silo because ultimately what everyone is trying to achieve is the same goal. So yeah. that's why I prefer the much more collaborative approach and, and actually speaking not only to my suppliers, but also to my peers and other companies. Yeah, and I've noticed that about you, JC, and they kind of, you know, if you don't mind me saying, you've had quite a fast kind of rapid rise to, to the to the level uh, that, that you are I guess within your role while there is competition between the companies you know I've seen because we've, we've been on network events before and you know round tables that you do lean on you lean and work with and collaborate with with people kind of externally don't you and and, and in this community the, the procurement community seems to, to help each other quite a lot and share knowledge yeah, absolutely. Because like I said, you know, there, 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 are, there are certain areas of procurement where you really do have to be careful, you know. And, and, and of course, even when we talk amongst our peers, there is always that line. You do not talk commercials. You do not talk contractual terms. But what we do talk about is the problem. Why is the problem there? You know, how could the problem be potentially solved? Now, that is talking about A and is talking about B. But what we don't really share too much about is how you get from A to B. Yeah. But what, yeah. what we discuss are the potential routes that you can t- take mm. to get from A to B. And and like I said, you know what, you, you learn from a lot of people around you. Um, and, and I'm always open to share. So yeah. And when you talk to them, I mean, maybe if you were talking to someone 
this is all about leadership. What, what are the key pieces of advice you always give to someone kind of coming into this or starting off a program that, that, that how they should start looking at the problem? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's very easy for people to say have the end in mind, right? When, when, when you look at solution uh, design, um, the difficulty with, with looking at external workforce is the landscape is just simply changing so quickly that having the end in mind is, is quite difficult. Now, for some companies, the end in mind might simply be, we are better now than we were five years ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That is a fantastic place to be. On the other side of things, you know, the end in mind could be, I want to create a total talent strategy. Yeah. And, and, and that could be, well, how do I incorporate, you know, our service workers in there, our temporary labor factory workers in there, our professional service workers in there. So, so for me, when, when you talk about how do you build that kind of holistic solution, the key really is to think about, well, what does my business need? Hmm. Not what, what, not what is the utopia? What does my business need? Because for example, if you're working in a company that is, let's I don't know let's take an uber or or a takeaway.com or something like that which is very very heavily on blue collar mm -hmm. compared to white collar services then yeah. your solution designing needs to be tailored to that need yeah, yeah. yeah. global complete other end of the spectrum predominantly yeah. white collar software developers etc yeah. your solution design needs to be very tailored to that need yeah and it, it, the difference in the volume the difference in the compliance you need to kind of understand you know which which market and which area you're working. So, so coming into this new organisation, um, because you, you you haven't been in craft time too long, have you? Uh, no. You're you're, 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 you're in the baptism of fire moments and all that sort of thing. Um, and what what are the key challenges that you see ahead of you in in the next year that you you know your key priorities? Yeah, so so you're right. I haven't. I've only been a, a few weeks at, at Craft Times yeah. now. I, I must admit, I'm already enjoying the challenge that that is yeah. that is bringing. Truly global company and and some some wonderful brands. But um, you know, the challenge I think that Craft Times really faces, and it's the same with with many companies, is trying to understand where the workforce is going to go in the future. Right. Now, if you look at what COVID nineteen has done to workforce strategies over. Um, over the last 18 months, 24 months, mm -hmm. it's probably acted as a catalyst to change more than anything that has happened in the past. You know, yeah. people traditionally saying office-based working is the status quo, mm -hmm. right? Well, very few people are reverting back to that status quo today. You know, then you start thinking about it in a more dynamic way, in a more strategic way, and you start thinking, well, you know what? If my external worker can work effectively 50 kilometers from my office, mm. what's stopping that external worker from being 500 kilometers from the yeah, office, right. 5,000 yeah. kilometers from the yeah. office? Now, don't get me wrong, there's a can of worms here where we start going into compliance and legalities, but ultimately we have a problem. And I think you and I know that if you have a problem, only sooner rather than later will a solution come. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So companies need to prep for that solution because I'm certain it's coming. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it goes back to the myriad of compliance laws in different countries and different tax laws. And you kind of think to yourself, I mean, who would do it? But you think to yourself, there must be an easier way. And there must be a, 
a, a way to, to balance this out so that everyone agrees. So there's certain key structures that are the same, you know. Um, interestingly, I listened to a podcast the other day about um, standardized shipping containers, right? Mm-hmm. So someone <laughs> in the past, in the, the 50s or whatever, invented the standardized containers they put on a ship. And this is one of the most important inventions that's ever been invented because it helps international global trade. You kind of think there should be something like that, some sort of kind of key worker agreements that are standard for international workers. You know, that's, that's something that occurred to me. I was thinking, I, I guess that would kind of help you, wouldn't it? You know, if there was some key structures. I mean, for, for me, and I'm sure my HR colleagues would, would, would agree, or, or actually any hiring manager would agree, mm. if we can get a more streamlined way of getting access to the best talent in the world, irrespective of where they are, that's a huge win. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, Game Changers podcast. So yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's yeah. a good one. <laughs> it tells you how they invent stuff. To me. And, you know, you, you yourself, you just talked about the kind of global workforce there. Do you only see that that increasing, you know, particularly in the contingent worker side where, where people are looking for inches and more efficiencies and, you know, following the sun? Yeah, I think so. If I'm if I'm very honest with you, um, I think like, like I touched upon that that COVID-19 has has proved the capability to actually work with with specialists. Now, don't get me wrong, there are certain areas and certain domains. And, you know, in, in some companies, there might even be certain reasons why you want key decision makers to be making deci- decisions in certain territories or even certain offices. Right. Mm. But by and large, if you were to remove that kind of restriction and you look at the wider talent pool that an organization has the the war for talent is is apparent so you know there there are people just look at the eastern european countries at the moment and what they're doing in the it space yeah they're they're here to stay and they're certainly they're certainly not going to back down from the fight in terms of getting access to the best jobs on the market so I think a company needs to move to where the talent is and, and the talent needs to be prepared to flex a little bit as well. Yeah, no, I think so. I think it is a kind of a, kind of a push and pull moment, isn't it? And just to go back to what you said about the kind of the blue collar versus the white collar. Is that, is that maybe something you kind of worry about? Obviously, I'm assuming like you know, people work in factories, people work in manufacturing establishments. There's already quite a demar- divide in terms of you know, salary or working conditions, but do you, do you fear that might be something that does cause friction going down the line? Is it something that you, you see as a, a problem maybe? Um, potentially, potentially. Um, I think it will cause a problem for the companies who really don't focus on their workforce plan right, over yeah. the next two to, two to three years, you know, because the shortage of talent isn't confined to, let's say, professional um, yeah, or let's white collar or however you want to, to, to define it. Um, take a look at what's happening. Let, let's use UK as a case in point, truck yeah. drivers. That's right. right. And we only have to look back on the news over the last couple of days to, to really see the shortage of truck drivers and the impact that that has on everyday life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you actually ask anyone in a manufacturing site right now, I can guarantee you forklift truck drivers are a diamond that they're trying to find. Yeah. So it's not all, you know, sometimes we get we get caught up a little bit on 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 the sexy stuff like the data scientists and the software engineers, etc. But believe me, the shortage of talent is there across the scale. 
And that's why companies really, really need to wise up in terms of working out, you know, how do we how do we end this shortage? I, I know of companies, for example, who are using uh, virtual reality training for forklift truck drivers so that you can try and speed up the capability increase and upskilling necessity that comes along with that shortage. So yeah. it's, it's a really fascinating space, David, the truth. Is that the way you, you kind of use the kind of innovative companies? You've talked about partners and suppliers, but do you also look at, you know, you, you talk there about a workforce plan. Is that, is that something you work according to? So, you know. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So it, in certain companies, that plan is owned by different people. You know, in core HR, sometimes it's in talent yeah. acquisition, uh, plays a role, sometimes procurement doesn't play a role. But ultimately, the good companies, the good companies mm. know exactly how they want to resource their future deployments of mm. core products or services. Right. Okay. And, yeah. and how they go about that is obviously individual to each and every company. But if you don't have a strategy underpinning that, mm. you're, you're going to get unstuck eventually. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's important to kind of work towards that. But like you said, also, um, you know, be flexible around that as legislation changes, as, as, as economic or, you know, pandemics, that sort of thing. Um, and for, for you, you know, within the industry that, that you've worked with and you've, you've been within the, the food industry, as it were, for quite a lot of your career, obviously, not only. Um, do you see any kind of key changes? You know, obviously you're looking at the contingent workforce within that, but, but how is that developing? Or how have you seen that develop over the last decade? Yeah, so in, if, if we're looking at uh, FMCG in, in particular, um, I would say the tech revolution is probably the biggest thing that's happened. You, you now look at, you know, companies which, which I've worked at, let's say uh, Associated British Food, Heineken, even Kraft Heinz now, they are fastly becoming tech companies, you know. Right. Everyone is quickly moving into this data-driven uh, organization space because the power of data, the power of big data is starting to be realized, not just by the guys in Silicon Valley, mm. but actually by every company that there is. And the yeah. improvements that using data to drive improvement measures in your supply chain, for example, is significant. Look at things like sustainability agendas which have just come on in the last five years mm. in particular. I know people have talked about it for much longer than that, but actually you are really starting to see big companies making sizable commitments to the market about what they are going to do in sustainability in between now and 2025, between now and 2030. Uh, you're also seeing social pressures on these big companies such as um, removing child labor, removing modern slavery. No one wants to be associated with a brand which is not doing what we call now the basics right. Mm. right? And, and that kind of pressure is also really forcing companies. You're starting to see people who you're, for the first time probably in the last four or five years, you're having in a HR function, you've got IND directors, inclusion and diversity directors. Yeah. yeah. You know, and all of this is coming because of the social pressures that we simply expect more as a society from big companies these days. And, and that also links in, you know, because you, particularly on the IND side, the diversity and inclusion side, sometimes that's a, like you went back to the permanent staff, we need to work on this, but 
I think you've always been quite big on making sure that's within the contingent workforce as well, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, for me, I, I maybe have a, a slightly different view on 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 workforce. I I see a talent pool yeah. rather than a workforce, mm-hmm. and therefore I believe that if you have one vision for your talent pool, that should apply to the entire pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that can be things like promoting women women in tech initiatives mm-hmm. is is a classic one, for example. Um, but it's really great to see more and more companies actually investing in this kind of space. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Well, JC, it's been great to speak to you today and I really, really enjoyed it. And it's, it's great to, to have a bit of you know, insight into to, to the machinations of these, 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 like, you know, these categories in, in the background. But one of the things that, on the leadership side, mm. you know, what, what would you say as you've kind of grown, you've grown your career from Ministry of Sounds all the way through to, to kind of craft times? What's the what's the key thing you've learned on, on your journey as a leader within within this, this sector and within this industry? For me, it's actually quite a simple rule that I follow. Um, mm. And although it's simple, it, it, it can be hard to follow at times. And that is to always put aside your kind of self bias that you have and every decision that you make every thought process that you go down just ask yourself the same question is this absolutely the right decision for the company sure and if you can always honestly answer that question with yes then i believe that you are always putting one step forward one step forward it doesn't mean you're not going to come up against resistance because there might be other people with a different view who are also answering yes to that question but ultimately the end product that you're going to agree on will be beneficial for the organization, right? And, and that's kind of the way that I've always approached things. I've, I've always viewed it off the lens of my company, treat every euro, dollar, pound as my own and do the basics right and go from there. Okay, JC, some quick fire questions for you as a, as a member of the leaders. Um, so, so what got you into, in, into the industry? I wish I could say that I, I was always born to, to do procurement or I, I knew this was where I was going to end up, but uh, actually it's not true. I think in, in my early years, if you asked me, I wanted to be a, a sportsman or, or a radio DJ. So um, I guess you're kind of giving me a glimpse into what my life could have been if I made some different choices here. Um, but no, all in all, the, re- the reason why I actually ended up choosing procurement is because I graduated out of law school and um, I felt the procurement gave me that really nice balance between the legal and the commercial negotiation, which, which actually gives me the energy that I need to get up and go to work every day. Brilliant. And what does success mean to you? Yeah, that's a really good question because, uh, you know, I, I think I wear a lot of hats like many people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for me personally, it, it's keeping my family happy. Uh, keeping myself happy, making sure that we're all motivated, that that we're that we're comfortable, and we we don't have too many stresses. But if you look at it from a from a professional point of view, um, again, I, I have different nuances. So aside from my full time job, I'm also a founding partner of a consultancy firm in, in in the Netherlands called Workforce Consulting. And if you were to ask me what does success look like for workforce consulting, well, that would be to enable companies who really want to make transformational changes to have the confidence to actually do it. So that's what success looks like there. If you were to ask me, what does success look like for Kraft Heinz in my role in Kraft Heinz? Well, that is simply just following what I believe is one of the best mottos that a company can have, 
and that is doing better each and every day and hopefully making each of my stakeholders happier as I go along and do it. Wonderful. Wonderful. What's the one thing you're most excited about this coming year? Wow. The one thing that I'm most excited about. Gosh. Well, I guess from a personal perspective, I'm, I'm going to have to say that my wedding is pretty important. Yeah, so if I, don't, say that. <laughs> yeah, if I don't put that in, David, I'm in trouble. So yeah, number one has to be the wedding coming up in, in 2022. But other than that, I must admit, I'm a people's person. So doing work behind a lens has, has been great. I've been able to do it. I've been able to work efficiently like many people have, but I'm really excited to get back out there. I'm really excited to see my suppliers, to see my colleagues, to see my, my, my clients, um, you know, to get out to conferences, to have this face-to-face -face interaction. And I'm certain that I'm not the only one who's absolutely hoping that that comes sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's great. Great to be back. Great to be back. Exactly. Um, name another company that inspires you and, and why is that? Yeah, that's, that's quite a... Uh, uh, a tricky question. I think I'm going to have to be a bit diplomatic here. Well, um, but, uh, you know what? I've been very, very privileged to work at companies, uh, all of which have inspired me for different reasons. Sure. Uh, and um, actually, I've, I've never joined a company where I, I wasn't inspired by what they were trying to achieve. And looking back, even as the early starter back in my Ministry of Sound days, you know, what a company that was in terms of its, its vision. Most people know it for the nightclub in, in London and, and producing great events. But this is also a company that was started by a small group of people who just believed in something greater than what was available. And they went on to build one of the most successful record labels in Europe. And you scale that into a company like Heineken. Right. And, and Heineken, for me, is still the best beer brand in, 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 in the world when you look at it from a marketing campaign perspective. You know, it's, it's genius what some of the stuff that they do. And then, of course, now in my role at Craft Heinz, it's, it's inspiring to see what, what such a large company is willing to completely change and transform itself again. And people will be asking the question, but why? You seem to have the secret sauce already. That may be the case, and the pun is intended. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they are willing to be brave enough to flip things upside down. And that's exactly what inspired me to join them. Brilliant. Um, what's the, the favourite project that you've supported to date? So on a favourite uh, project, I think the one that I've probably had some of the most satisfaction out of is during my time at, at Heineken. And it was actually during one of the toughest periods in the company's history. COVID-19 just hit, and I'm sure everyone knows the pubs and the restaurants were closed for, for too long, shall we say, um, and everyone wanted to socialize but couldn't. Um, because of that, Heineken went through actually the toughest year since World Wars. And I can't disclose too much about the project just because of the nature of the project itself. But what we really had to do is to think very strategically about how we could change and adjust and adapt the total workforce strategy globally for the company in order to ensure that that company was able to go on and continue to deliver the best product they could deliver to the customer wherever and whenever they wanted it. And we made tremendous impacts into the bottom line. And like I said, it was during the hardest period the company's ever been. 
the real challenge of COVID in, in that sort of environment. Yeah. So it's, it's great to just great to see it all coming through and coming to success. Um, okay, so what's some of the what's one of the best pieces of business advice you've ever received? Gosh, I've said this I think before on one of the panels that I've I've been on in the past, and uh, it was said to me very early on in my career, um, and that is choose your mentor and choose your boss well, not necessarily your job. Yeah. Um, because mentors and, and your bosses are ultimately the ones who will give you the opportunities to thrive, to explore, to grow yourselves, right? So especially anyone who's starting out their career, you know, a lot of people get attracted to the fancy names, the glitz and the glamour of, of certain companies. And maybe they might even make choices purely because of what market perception is. But I guarantee you that if you choose your boss well, if you choose your mentor well, everything else will fall in line. Fantastic. Um, what do you think will change the industry most over the next, the coming 24 months? It's been a very, a year of 24 months of great change. What do you think is the next big change? Yeah. So in, in the workforce industry, I think we're going to see a massive revolution in tech, right? So I, I think, like I said, COVID-19 has completely remodeled the way that companies are working and, and colleagues are, are, are operating with one another. And because of that, I think you're gonna see tech companies popping up. I'm already starting to see them now, which is enabling easier payrolling for international workers. You might even see things like recruitment companies really moving into the tech space to see how can they disrupt what is a relatively, you know, traditional way of yeah, recruitment. Yeah. So um, that's what I think. I think tech's going to be the big enabler and is coming at the HR industry incredibly quickly. And what do you think the, the workforce industry's main challenge is at the current time? I think it's going to be adjusting to, to the, uh, the wants and the wishes of their employees. You know, mm. um, when, when you look at um, what CEOs are, are talking about at the moment, uh, it's, it's an incredibly hard challenge that CEOs have. And, and they're all saying that attracting and retaining talent is probably their number one challenge for their organization. If you look at, you know, a couple of reports, I read one quite recently from Corn Ferry, which said they were anticipating that around 85 million jobs globally will go unfulfilled by 2030, just because there are not enough skills on the market. 85 million jobs globally. That's a staggering fact. But again, companies are going to have to work out how do they make sure that they're not part of that statistic. That's so it's going to be really interesting. Sure. The last question, what do you think the main difference is that you see in industry now, pre and post COVID-19? Yeah, I've, I've touched upon it a couple of times already. Uh, I, I think it's that whole remote working uh, mm. debate. And I know that there are people who are still sitting on the fence or, or are sitting on the other side of the fence that perhaps are very it's much in the office. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah. far off the fence, they're in the office. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I, think, I think that is the debate that we, we cannot ignore. Right? And, and I think depending on certain sectors, of course, if you were to look at certain public sector services, it's, it's, it's not an option. Right. But there are many jobs and many companies who can explore this option and probably will explore this option and they'll see whether it can become a long term solution for them. Um, again, just looking at a, a couple of reports, I remember 
looking into one which which PwC um, published, uh, which stated that around 84% of the employees that they actually interviewed uh, believed that they were doing equal or better working from home than they were when they were in the office. Mm-hmm. But that's, of course, the employee opinion. So I'm going to be very curious to see whether the, the employers go along with that narrative right. like you said it's data driven isn't it you know you, you've got you'd probably be able to do the data now to find out whether that's actually kind of true or not so technology helping again so well, great speech jjc have a great afternoon thanks very much cheers david thank you thanks.